Please turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapters 2 and 3. I will be reading selected passages from both. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the, man's, the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil this is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew and I primarily serve our Metro's College Ministry, which is also known as the Crosswalk Fellowship. Now, it's always an honor to be here preaching the word, especially today's passage, and I'm excited because today's teaching is based on the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, some of you are like, I never even knew that book existed in the Bible. Some of you knew, read it, and are probably wondering, why is this in the Bible? It's so weird. But for me, I'm so glad that the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible because it teaches us and it gives us the words uh, to form a question that is very important to all of us. You see, we don't know who wrote it, who, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, they simply say it's the preacher or the teacher. And whoever this author of Ecclesiastes is, He's a believer, but he's writing in, um, in a perspective of a secular person. And so 
it's extremely helpful because it tries to answer an important question that we all have that bothers our heart, which is, what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose for living? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Now, so, as in the perspective of a skeptic, in chapter one, he pers- he, he's searching for the answer, and he comes, up with, uh, he comes to a problem, pain and suffering. And, you know, for the past few weeks, we've been preaching on the topic of suffering, and it teaches us that it's a pointer. It helps us to point to God, and it helps us because, well, when things go wrong, it, it kind of ma- put a pause in your life and makes you wonder, like, what is going on? What is, what is life? And I know many people who are irreligious, when things go wrong, they go like, Oh, God, they pray. So pain and pleasure, uh, though it's hard, it's a barrier, um, sometimes it could be a pointer to God. But in chapter 2, the author of Ecclesiastes now talks about from the problem of pain and suffering to problem of pleasure. Some of you are like, pleasure? And the thing is, today we have a very big problem with pleasure, but it's not so obvious. I mean, you know, when we're feeling pain or suffering, we get very introspective. But nobody gets introspective when, because they have too much pleasure, right? So pleasure, in a way, it distracts us. In a way, it you know, covers uh, the, the meaning of life that we want to answer in our lives. That's why it's a big problem. So Ecclesiastes is a very good book because it's going to teach us about something in our hearts that we didn't even think about. So, let's go into the text. The book of Ecclesiastes will teach us three things. The search of the pleasures, search of pleasure, for pleasure, the problems of pleasure, and the solutions uh, for pleasure. The search for pleasure, the problems of pleasure, and the solution for pleasure. First point. The search for pleasure. Verse 1 of our passage today uh, says, um, come now. It says, I thought in my heart, come now. Now, come now, why? What came before? So let's read a couple verses before chapter 2. In chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, it says, Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. See, the context is very important. In chapter 1, the author talks about the problem of pain and suffering. And and then he turns to chapter 2. See, basically, the author in chapter 1, he examines life as a skeptic. He says, "If if this is all that it is under the sun, which is a phrase he uses constantly for life, all right? Life under the sun, life on earth. If this is everything that there is to it, then there is no answer to life. There is no answer to the meaning of life, why we exist, why we do things, why we are here on earth. And he pretty much says, there is no answer. So I'm distraught. I'm like feeling anxious. And so basically he examines life for what it is, and then he turns to pleasure. It's what we call a YOLO syndrome. You only live once, right? There's nothing else out here. There's no life after this. So might as well enjoy it. That's why we pursue pleasure. 
That's why the author of Ecclesiastes pursued pleasure. Now, what is pleasure? Pleasure, on one hand, is kind of like a cover, right? It's like an escape, right? Because we feel this weird, you know, emptiness inside. And some of you know that because life is not so bad right now, right? Work may be hard, but it brings in the paycheck. Life is good. Uh, friends are good. Church is good. And things are not, not, things in life is not that bad, but you still feel this, like, weird, like, meh. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just feel, meh. Life is colorless. It's like a black and white. You know, so he, he turns from that to pleasure because he's trying to find an answer. And he's trying to kind of like cover himself of it. Verse 2 says, laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? Verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. So think about what happens when you drink wine. Think about why people typically drink wine or alcohol when they're distraught. Alcohol tends to distract us. It, it helps us to ignore, disregard, cover, or, or, or escape the void or the inner meh in our emptiness in our lives. And likewise, pleasure in life has the same effect. It, it covers our meh. It covers our emptiness. This weird um, feeling that there's something missing in our life. And so, on one hand, pleasure kind of covers and it's like an escape. But on the other hand, pleasure um, is like an unfaithful friend that promises big but never, never follows through. Right? It promises big things, but it never keeps its promise. Let me explain. Verse 3, I want to read it to you again. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, but my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile. So, the author teaches us that we are not only searching for sensory, physical euphoria. We are searching for something deeper. Remember, the author saw nothing to live for under the earth, uh, under the sun, on earth. That's when he turned to pleasure. So if, when he turns to pleasure, he's not just look, turning for pleasure, but he's searching for something bigger. He's searching for worthwhileness. Let me explain. A few examples. When we drink wine, we're not drinking wine just for physical buzz or the physical like pleasure. We are... We, want, we, we seek and uh, um, search for wine because uh, we want to feel and be in a context that makes life feel worthwhile. And so oftentimes we drink wine or alcohol in a setting um, where, where it could help us do that, accomplish that. We, we drink wine at parties with friends, with coworkers, and many people drink wine to fit in, to belong for what is worthwhile. Let me give you another one, sex. Sex is, you know, a lot of times people think it's for physical pleasure, for the orgasm, but it's not just for that, is it? It's for the intimacy that you can have. What happens when you have physical intimacy with somebody, right? You feel loved. You, be, you feel cherished. You feel like it, life, is, life is beautiful, you know? You're cared for. You're looking for something that's worthwhile. Shopping. When people are distraught, and people are depressed. They go shopping. 
I don't get it, but you know, I know a lot of people who does that. But think about why they do it. It's not just for instant happiness that they find by purchasing the product. It's what the name brand represents. If I buy this, it represents something in my life. Right? It gives me worthwhileness. Friends, we are pursuing a life of pleasure because we want something worthwhile. We want something that gives us worth. That is the first point, the search of pleasure, why we search for pleasure, worthwhileness. Second point, why is it a problem then? And why is searching for pleasure, why is pursuing and living in a life of pleasure such a big problem? First, it's a big problem because the more you pursue it, the more empty you feel. Right? Verse 4, I undertook great projects. And after that, he kind of lists all the things. It's like a great flex. Right? He talks all about all the things that he accomplished and all the things that he acquired. He pretty much says, I built for myself a great house, great garden, um, parks, uh, vineyards, uh, planted many trees. Um, I had many animals, herds, and flocks. Uh, and he pretty much says, I have slaves to, to serve him. He has silver, gold, men, and women singer, or harem, which is also translated as a concubine. So he had romance. He had riches. He had status. He still had wisdom. He had everything. In verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Now, this is not true for a lot of us. For a lot of us, we have, to, we have to deny a lot of things because we don't have the power or the resources to get to, uh, and get to do whatever we want or buy whatever we want. Right? Only the top 1% could do whatever they want. It could, only the top 1% could say, I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. So, so, if our main goal and drive from living is pleasure, we want to be where this guy is at at the top 1%. We want to be our own boss, to have the freedom to do whatever we want, to purchase whatever we want. We want people working for us. Now, this guy, the author, was at the top 1%. But when he surveyed all that he did, verse 11, the conclusion that he came to was, it's all meaningless. Chasing after the wind. What does it mean to chase after the wind? What is wind? Wind is nice. It's like a nice breeze. But you can't get a hold of it. You can't keep it. It's fleeting. Right? It comes and goes whenever it wants. And it can never be controlled. So the author, who had everything, he says, I had a great house. I had a great car. I had a great family. I had great romance. I had all these different things. It's like chasing after the wind. It's fleeting. It doesn't help my inner man. He's basically saying that all the things that I dreamed about, all the things that I put my worth in, it ultimately comes short. Right? We have live examples of this. Right? Let me give you two. Uh, in an essay about celebrity life and culture, one New York journalist said this, I pity celebrities. No, I do. When God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest desire and then giggles. When you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. 
Basically, he continues, and he says, these celebrities want, to, want fame. They worked, they pushed, and the night each of them became famous, they wanted to shriek with relief, finally. Now they were adored, invincible, magic. The morning after the night each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose of drugs. All their fantasies had been realized, yet the reality was still the same. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now. And to give you another illustration that, one of my favorite, um, is Jim Carrey. He was my favorite comedian growing up. Why? Because, well, he just looked so happy. And I think I adopted a lot of my jokes from him, like the goofiness. I loved Jim Carrey growing up. I thought he was so successful, super rich, so happy, until I heard what he said in an interview. And he said this, I think everybody should be, get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. Jim Carrey, he was depressed. Who knew? Some of you, some of us, are constantly living for the next big thing hoping that this will make you feel worthwhile. When we were in high school, we wanted to get into a good college. Now that we're in a good college, we wanted to get into a good internship. In a good internship, get a good job. Now that I have a good job and have a good salary, what's the next big thing? I want to get married. After you get married, I want kids. After I get kids, I want them out. <laughs> and then when I talk to some people who are empty nesters, they say, it's not just my house that's empty, it's also my heart because I placed my hope and trust in the children that I was raising. So, I don't know if that sounds familiar, but that's all of us. We are pursuit. We have a big problem with pleasure because we're pursuing things that ultimately makes us even more empty. So listen, like, some of you are not the one in the 1%, but listen to the ones who are already in, 1%, in the 1%, top 1%. When they surveyed all the things that they accomplished, like the author of Ecclesiastes, they were utterly miserable. They're saying pursuing pleasure is meaningless, chasing after the wind. So, the problem with pleasure is that the more we pursue pleasure, the more empty we, feel, we become, the more empty we feel. But the root reason why the problem with pleasure uh, is that, is that more, uh, the more we pursue pleasure, the more empty we feel, is because we try to build our paradise. Um, without God, and it was never meant to be that way. Let me explain. Notice when you read verses 4 through 9, um, and even 10, um, what this author has built. He built a great home, great vineyards, a garden with fruit trees. Um, he had animals, people serving him, male and women singers. So, and, and he built all of these things. If you take back and really look at the passages, doesn't this remind you of anything? Doesn't, doesn't that kind of remind you of, I don't know, the, the Garden of Eden? Right? It, there's a, the resemblance is it's very profound. He's pretty much looking to um, build his own paradise. He's playing a role of God. And, and it's even similar the way that he delights. He, he pretty much says in verse 10, my heart took delight in all my work. 
similar to how God delighted in his own creation. Yet the key difference between verse 11 of our passage today and Genesis 1 is that when God finished all his creation, he looked back and he said it was very good. But when the author looked back and surveyed all that he had built, he said, everything's meaningless, chasing after the wind. Meaning, Adam and Eve, who are in the paradise, in the Garden of Eden, they were in paradise, but not because they were in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were, were in paradise because they were in the presence of God. And so... And so when they got kicked out, when they got kicked out of the garden, they lost their purpose and meaning in life. They lost sight of God, right? They lost sight of, they lost access to him. And since then, all of humanity is is searching for something, a deeper meaning and purpose in life. And that's why the author of Ecclesiastes is searching for purpose and meaning in pleasure. He wants to build his own paradise, and he does successfully. Yet he still tries to do it without God. He's, he's missing a very key component. Even when he built for himself a paradise, it's still under the sun. He's still missing something that can give him ultimate worthwhileness. God himself. Likewise, friends, when we pursue pleasure to build our own version of paradise, maybe a good home, a good car, great status, great wealth, great family, etc. The void that we feel and the emptiness that we have will only increase because your paradise is no paradise without God. Your kingdom is no kingdom without Jesus. So, when many of us feel empty, this inner man, um, it's, many, many of us think that it's because, well, we're not far enough in our path. But, I beg you, look at the top 1%. They're miserable. Maybe it's not that you're not far off in your path. Maybe it's that you're in the wrong path. Maybe you're in the path that just makes you feel more empty. Y'all feel encouraged yet? Well, thank God we have one more point. The solution for pleasure. So far, let's summarize. We talked about the search for pleasure. How we search for it, we don't search for pleasure for just escapism. We search for pleasure because we want something that makes us feel worthwhile. And then we talked about the problems of pleasure, though, because we can't help but to pursue it, where we get addicted to it, but it can never satisfy us. It makes us feel more empty, and that's because we are doing it apart from God. So the solution is what? We need more of God. Read verse Ecclesiastes, um, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 10 with me. I have seen the burden God has laid on men. Verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He, had, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. Verse 11 is one of, those, is one of the most unique verses in the Bible. He first says that there are things out there um, that are very beautiful, yet God has set eternity in your hearts. Another way of like, phrasing that is the problem of pleasure is beautiful things are the pleasures that we pursue, but they can never satisfy us because our hearts crave eternity. 
eternal beauty, eternal meaningless, uh, meaningfulness, um, um, eternal worthwhileness. So what does it mean to have eternity in our hearts? It means to have God, to be intimate with him, to be in his presence. And that's the solution. But, but we got kicked out of the garden along with Adam and Eve. How can we get back in? There's a chasm so big, we cannot fill it. How can we get back in? Well, it's Lent season. Lenten season, meaning it's a time for spiritual renewal for a lot of us. But it's also a great time because it's, it's a good time for us to search for the deeper meaning you can find in God and what he has done for you so that he could uh, fill in that gap. Verse 14 says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can take, uh, be taken away from him. God does it so that man will revere and stand in awe of him. Search for what God has done for you. It endures forever. You can add anything uh, nor take anything away. Search for the awesome God who made the way for you. So and in your search, I just pray that you'll find Jesus who said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning, Jesus said, I was a king. I made the Garden of Eden. Me and the Father are one. But now I am separated from the Father. My life is now meaningless. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I could be accepted. In your search, I hope you'll find Jesus uh, who left eternity so that he can be born, not in a paradise, but in a manger. And he gave up all that he had. In, uh, in Isaiah 53 verse 2 said, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus lost his beauty and wonder so that you and I can receive the eternal beauty that is Jesus Christ. In your search, I pray you'll find Jesus whose sole purpose in life was to die for those who would reject him. Yet in Hebrews 12 says that he was glad to do it. He saw how he might be loved and cherished by the Father. And for the joy that was set before him, you and me, he endured the cross. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ, God created ultimate meaning, which is salvation. If you believe this, if you, in your searching, if you find Jesus, this means we can find meaning and purpose in our work under the sun. Um, because unlike pleasure, which never keeps his promise, Jesus always keeps his promise. When Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, um, our great helper, and he is constantly with us. Right? He never goes away, and he gives us ultimate worthwhileness. This means we can enjoy pleasures in life without being enslaved to them um, because we can receive it as a gift of God rather than a means to an end. Right? We, when the gospel becomes more beautiful, you can enjoy life the way it was meant to be. This means we can find meaning and purpose in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can actually rest because our reason for existence it's not to advance our own paradise. We're already in paradise. Luke chapter 23, when Jesus was getting crucified and there was a criminal next to him, the criminal asked Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus said, well, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're already in with him in the presence of God. So, uh, friends, it's the Lenten season meaning is a time of searching. I pray that in your searching you find Jesus so much more beautiful that the pursuit of pleasure uh, that makes you feel more empty 
will be filled by his love for you. Let's pray.